Well, good morning. How is everybody doing today? We're doing good? Okay. I know we don't want to give praise to men, but Brian and, and Molly and the team, thanks for leading us in worship. I think I better be careful. I might lose my job here. That was a blessed time, Brian. <laughs> it's always hard um, uh, when you step into a role that you're not comfortable or that you're not, you're not, you don't do all the time. So I appreciate you guys doing that this morning. Hey, we're going to be in uh, the book of Hebrews this morning. If you haven't already turned to 12 of Hebrews, um, as you turn there, let me ask this question. How many of you this morning continually receive an email from an organization or from some mailing list that you signed up for sometime in your life and you just don't care about those emails anymore? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Nothing that doesn't happen to anybody? Okay. And... You know, at least in my case, I don't know how many times I have to hit the unsubscribe button. I keep getting the emails. So something's going on here. Well, a couple uh, years ago, a few friends of, of mine, we decided that we were going to run the marathon in uh, Japan. And I guess this is appropriate since Pastor Milo is running the half marathon. Uh, well, so I, I actually signed up for the half marathon in Japan. And, you know, it was like $50. You get the shirt if you win the, if you not win, but if you run the race. I said, no big deal. It's like, you know, 13 miles, whatever. No big deal. I signed up for the marathon. And, of course, I had to go and sign up on the website that was in Japanese because it was in Japan. And um, somehow I figured out how to do it. Well, to this day, I still get emails inviting me to run the, the marathon in Japan. <laughs> And I'm, I'm like, folks, I'm not running the marathon. Let me be honest with you. I didn't run the first time. I'm not going to run the second time, okay? <laughs> I was training for the marathon. I got to seven miles. And I, in the middle of my run, I said, this is the most boring thing I've ever done. I, don't, I mean, if you run marathons, God bless you, Pastor Milo. You're going to hear this afterwards. God bless you. But after seven miles, I am bored to death of running and, you know, whatever. So anyway, I, I say all that because... <laughs> I get this email still. They, they, the Okinawa Marathon people want me to get back in the race. They want me to sign up for this, this marathon. And, and just like those emails, we, we keep getting those things. They keep wanting us to get involved in whatever it is that email is for. And, and all of us are saying, the same. Well, this morning as we look at our scripture, God's going to send us that email this morning. He wants us to get into the race. He wants us to get involved. I hope you don't hit the delete button or uh, try to get off his, his subscription list because God wants to speak to us this morning as we look at his word. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. We're continuing our series, The Race. The title of this message is The, the Faith to Finish With. We're going to be taking a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. And uh, so let's just jump right in, uh, actually, to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's jump back to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. 
Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Let's stop there and have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time that we can gather as your people. I thank you for your word. I pray now, Lord, as we open your word, that you would speak to us. God, I pray that I would decrease, you would increase. Lord, that this morning the word you have prepared for us, God, that it would just be clear, it would be to the point. And Lord God, that you would bless those who are in hearing, are here today in attendance and hearing this message. Lord, I thank you for our pastor. I thank you for our pastoral team. I pray that you would just continue to use us for your kingdom's work here in Williamsville. And Lord, thank you again for calling us to be a part of what you're doing in this place, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, dive into this morning's scripture, we, we have to go back a couple verses, and that's why I went to verse 1, um, to really get a good sense of what Paul is calling us to, and what, what or I'm sorry, what the author of Hebrews is, uh, is calling us to and challenging us to in our life. Uh, this passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning, you know, I would love to stand up here and say that I have some great theological truth that I'm going to reveal to you or some mystery that you've never heard before, but that's simply not the case. This morning, the scripture that we're looking at is really application in nature. And so I hope that this morning as we go through the text that you really are encouraged, that you're really inspired just to uh, continue seeking the Lord and serving after him. Uh, but as we look at the text, we have to understand that this text falls into a, a, big, a broader uh, broader narrative, what, what the author of Hebrews has been trying to get across to his audience. You know, as we've been going through this last few chapters of Hebrews, there's just been this thread about faith, faith, faith that's been happening in the last few chapters. And really, at this point in our scripture, the author is beginning to wrap things up. He's, he's, he's got a couple more chapters left. He's just about to wrap things up, put a little bow on it, and send it off. And he's really putting his final thoughts on paper. You know, he spent the, the whole book of Hebrews talking about the Old Testament. He's talked about the Old Covenant. He's talked about Old Testament scriptures. And he, he's dived deep into scriptures. And he's pulled them out. And he said, this is what it means now in light of Jesus Christ. And he's really just gone and just given us this deep, like, theological study about the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. And at the end of the day, his message is, he's trying to get across to his people is that Jesus is greater and superior than all those things that, um, that we've learned about. And if we don't put Jesus at the top and at the pinnacle, we're going to miss everything else that has ever been said before in the scriptures. And so now in Hebrews chapter 12, he's wrapping all that up. He's putting it all together, and he wants, he wants us to understand a few things that we'll look at this morning. As we take a look at how we got to the point, this point in chapter 12, um, let's actually jump back to chapter 10, verse 19. And I want, to, I want to show you how he really puts a pinnacle on this, because this is going to be important for us as we study our scripture today. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19 through 25. I'm actually going to read from the New King James Version. I know that some of you have NIVs or a different version of the Bible. That's quite all right. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. Oh, sorry, actually, I turned to Acts for some reason. All right. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a priest, a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. It's like the author of Hebrews gets, he goes on this beautiful story of how Christ is our high priest. He's greater than all things. And he tops it off by saying, brothers, let us look to Jesus who has torn the veil and given us access to God. I think sometimes it's, we need to really just pause and think about that. That we are people living today in a world that's full of sin, but yet God has provided a way and an access for us to have fellowship with God. I mean, that's a beautiful thing to really understand. That's an awesome thing to understand. And then he says in chapter 11, the heroes of faith, right? Here are some individuals who had that kind of faith, who trusted God, who lived their life for the Lord. Here's their life. Follow their example. And now as we get to chapter 12, keep that in the back of your mind. This is where we're at now. God is calling us now to take a look at this scripture. And as you see from our first point, if you have a bulletin with you, and we'll put up on the screen, count the cost, get in the race. Taking, considering all that's happened before in the book of Hebrews, now it's time to count the cost. It's time for you, you and me, us, to get in the race. Isn't it kind of ironic that we're in chapter 12 and, and I would be saying, get in the race now? We should have gotten the race back in chapter 1, right? Well, you see how the author builds up to this point and to where we're at now? And he says, get in the race. So let's take a look at that. Let's just dive right in here. Count the cost. He says in verse 3 of chapter 12, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Once again, our author reminds us, where is our focus supposed to be? Jesus. Consider him. There's no other individual. There's no other idea. There's no other person that the author of Hebrews wants us to look at than the man himself, Jesus Christ. Why does Arthur tell us this? He says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners. Why? Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You see, the audience of Hebrews at this time was experiencing a little bit of persecution. They were experiencing a little bit of hardship. Their life wasn't uh, unicorns and rainbows. Their life was hard. They had made a confession of Christ and they were being persecuted for that confession of Christ. But the author of Hebrews here is telling them, listen, I need you to look to Jesus who suffered. Consider him in your suffering. He's saying throw off everything in verse, in verse 1. Throw off everything that hinders you and look to Jesus and consider him now in verse 3. You know, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the scripture tells us that he was under a lot of emotional stress. He knew where he was going. He knew that in the next few hours, his life would end on the cross. 
He knew that he would be dying for the sins of the world. He knew that if there was any other way that God could accomplish what was about to happen, that God would. But yet Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew the cost of his death. He knew the cost of his sacrifice. Jesus counted the cost of the mission that he was on, and yet he did not stray from it. He proceeded and died on the cross for us. Can we take a moment this morning and really think about the death of Jesus Christ? He suffered an excruciating death on our behalf. Somehow, in God's cosmic economy, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, that he literally became the embodiment of sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. I don't know how that happens, but I trust what God's word says, that Jesus became sin for us. Here is the sinless man, the sinless God-man who walked the earth, hanging on a tree for all the world to see. Sin. No wonder that Jesus said on his last final words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We think of the physical pain that Jesus went through, and we think of the emotional pain that Jesus went through. This is what the author of Hebrews is telling his audience to consider. Consider the man, this bloody, sweaty spectacle of a man that's hanging on a tree. Consider him and your suffering so that you don't lose heart, so that you're not discouraged in your faith. Jesus is the one we are to consider in our life as we think about running and getting in the race for faith. You know, in today's culture, uh, sometimes we want to make Jesus out to be, uh, you know, our friend. We want to make Jesus out to be the one who will deliver us from all of life's hardship. As we look at our scripture today, that's not necessarily what the scripture is telling us. We will experience hardship. You know, um, I was telling the youth, the teens this morning, the high school group, that I pray that none of them came to know the Lord, have come to know the Lord under false pretenses. Yes, Jesus has come to give us a blessed life. But, you know, Jesus just didn't come to save us. Or Jesus, did, Jesus didn't just come to give us good relationships. Or to help us find a better job. Or to help us, you know, make more money. Jesus came to die for our sins. And that's the foundation of our faith. And sometimes in our faith, we're going to experience hardship. We're going to experience difficulty, just like these people in the book of Hebrews are experiencing. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 10, that the world would hate us because they hated him first. Paul, who was no stranger to hardship in his ministry, tells Timothy that those who would seek to live a godly life would be persecuted. That's found in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, there is blessing beyond measure as we come to know the Lord. But the real fact is that a believer's life is both ups and downs. There's encouragements, there's discouragements. But if there's something I can tell you this morning is that God is interested in those hard times just as much as he is interested in those good times in our life. Amen? God is not apathetic to our situation. He is faithful. He is true. In every situation. And for our readers here today in Hebrews, this was something that they were experiencing. They were experiencing hardship. They were experiencing persecution. 
Persecution in the church is nothing new. History tells us that many Christians were persecuted in the early church. Many Christians suffered for their faith. Many Christians died for their faith. In fact, this morning what I would like to do is share with you a few words um, from some of the, one of the church fathers about an individual who suffered for his faith. Many of you may have heard this story before, the story of Polycarp, one of the early church fathers. Writing in, uh, writing in, um, in about 155, A.D., this is the testimony that we have of Polycarp and his faith. But the most admirable Polycarp, when first heard, he was not dismayed, but wished to remain in the city. Polycarp had been persecuted for his faith. A majority of his friends prevailed and told him he needs to leave the city. They were looking for him. He stayed in the city, and there he passed the time with a few companions, wholly occupied night and day in prayer, for all men and for the churches throughout the world, as indeed was his habit. And while at prayer, Polycarp fell into a trance three days before his arrest and saw his pillow set on fire. And he turned and said to his companions, I must needs be burned alive. Fast forward to when they arrested Polycarp. And stay with me, this is a little bit of a long text. Now as he was entering the stadium to be killed for his faith, there came Polycarp, there came to Polycarp a voice from heaven, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And no one saw the speaker, but the voice was heard by those of our people who were with, there, with him. Therefore he was led forth, and great was the uproar of them that heard that Polycarp had been seized. They were excited that they were about to kill this man for his faith. Accordingly, he was led before the proconsul, who asked him if he were there by himself. And when he confessed, the proconsul tried to persuade Polycarp, saying, Have respect to thine age and so forth according to the customary form. Swear by the genius of Caesar, they told him. Repent, say away with the atheists. Then Polycarp looked with a severe countenance on the mob of lawless heathen in the stadium, and he's waved his hand at them. And looking up to heaven, he groaned and said, away with the atheists. But the proconsul urged him and said, swear and I will release thee, curse the Christ. And Polycarp said, eight Eighty and six years have I served him, and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blasphemy my king who saved me? I wonder if any of us, if put in the same situation here, would have that same faith that Polycarp had. I've served the Lord 86 years, he said. He has not let me down once. Why would I even forsake my Lord now at the time of my death? That's a powerful testimony. The persecution in the church is documented. And there are many other individuals who we know died of their faith. The apostles we know died. Uh, many of them for their faith. Many of them suffered just like Jesus did. And they were persecuted. But what about today in our culture? Well, you know, persecution is still happening today. Did you know this? I hope we know this. Matter of fact, even just this last week, two days ago, in Egypt, 29 Coptic Christians were killed for their faith. Persecution is happening today in our world. If many of you are familiar with the organization, The Voice of the Martyrs, they track persecution around the world. They track countries where persecution is happening. The Voice of the Martyrs actually labels countries on certain scales of where persecution is happening. So for instance, a country that might be labeled as restricted, this is how they define that. This includes a country where government-sanctioned circumstances 
or anti-Christian laws lead to Christians being harassed, imprisoned, killed, or deprived of possessions or liberties because of their witness. Persecution is happening today. Some of those countries include Bangladesh, Iran, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, China, Libya, Egypt, and Sudan. It's happening today in our, in our world. People are being persecuted for their faith. They also label countries that are hostile. This includes nations of large areas where governments consistently attempt to provide protection for Christians, but where Christians are routinely persecuted by family and friends. Some of these countries include Colombia, Turkey, Turkey, India, Nepal, and Indonesia. Persecution is happening today and people are dying for their faith. What does the scripture tell us? This morning the scripture would tell them, consider Christ's suffering as you suffer so that you don't lose heart. Consider Christ's suffering so that you don't lose heart. Each one of us has a different struggle in our faith. It would be wrong for me to come up here and say to our congregation that, well, because you're not suffering and losing your limbs or getting your eyes poked out or um, being lashed or caned like they're doing in some of these countries, you're not suffering as much as other people. It would be wrong for me to say that. But each one of us has our own struggle, our own persecution that we may face. You know, and sometimes uh, we think of our persecution, we think of our suffering, and we think, well, we're, we're better off or we're worse off than other people. You know, we sometimes make light of the situation that we're in. Um, matter of fact, there's a, there's a comedian that, that kind of talks about this, and um, I think that would be an appropriate time to kind of get his perspective from it, because I think he can probably say it a lot better than I can. So take a look at uh, on the screen here for a minute. We overuse this phrase the most, that's the worst. You ever heard people say that? That's the worst. That's the worst. Really? That's the worst. That is the worst. My wife and I dropped our daughter off at the mall not too long ago. She was there to meet her friends, and her friends weren't there yet. My daughter was distraught. So I think, oh, my friends. My friends. That's not how she talks, but it's really funny. My friend, my friend. <laughs> my friends aren't here. My friends aren't here yet. Now I can't go shopping. I have to wait for them until I get here, until I can't go shopping. My wife was like, I know, honey. That's the worst. Really? That's the worst? being stuck in the mountains or being lost, you know, out, out at sea with sharks circling around you. You're not in more of a pickle there. That's the worst. Can you imagine like those Chilean miners? Remember those Chilean miners a few years ago got stuck in that mine for like 30 days? Do you think they're down that mine going, oh no, this is no good right here, man. We've been down in this mine for a long time, you know. We got no food to eat, we got no water to drink. <coughs> There's not a lot of air left to breathe. We may not live to see another day, my friend. This, this is the worst. The only thing. The only thing that I can think of right now. <laughs> The, 
Let me finish, please. The only thing, this is bad right now, the only thing that I can think of right now that could possibly be worse than this is, you know, sometime when you're at the mall and your friends aren't there to meet you yet and you want to go shopping, but you can't, so you gotta wait around on the curb for like 10 minutes or something. I tell you what, this is bad, my friend, but that, that is the worst right there, my friend. <laughs> that is the worst. <laughs> I think I'm gonna get fired now for showing the video. So Brian, Brian's gonna take my job, but <laughs> you get the point, right? It would be wrong for me to up here to say, you know, my, my experience, Suffering is worse than yours or anything else. Sometimes we think that, right? It's the worst. It's the worst situation. You know, God has each one of us in a place where he wants us to be. But sometimes we got to put things in perspective. And uh, we got we to be real with ourselves and put things in perspective. Let's take, let's take a look back at Hebrews here as the author continues. He says, Consider him endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. As I mentioned earlier, the Hebrew author here is referring to something specific to the audience of, in this text. They were being persecuted by fellow uh, individuals who at one time might have even been members of the faith, but because of the Jewish, um, the, their understanding of the Jewish law, their understanding of the Old Testament, they actually re started reverting back to Judaism. And so now these individuals were persecuting the Christians who were in this church and this is why the author of Hebrews has to go really deep into the Old Testament and say, no, you don't need to revert back to Judaism because Jesus fulfills all these things. And he actually labels these individuals as sinners. He says, you're receiving this hostility from these sinners. But then he takes it a step further. And he actually says that they're striving against sin. He actually labels those individuals as sin. Those people who are persecuting you, are actually the embodiment of what sin is. They're just against the things of the Lord. And as, as I was reading this and studying this, I'm like, man, that's heavy. Because I don't know, I don't like walking around and looking at people and saying, you're in sin, you're sin. That's like, you know, that would be like a really heavy thing to do, but that's what the author does. He labels them right out and says, not only are they sinners, but they are sin themselves. That's powerful. That's very powerful when you think about it. They were suffering persecution, not from an outside world, but from people that they are fellow brothers with, or at one time were fellow brothers with in the faith. Several years ago, I used to attend a church, and this was before I got married, and uh, it was a beautiful church, it was a small church, it was a great time of worship, great time of Bible study, it was just a great fellowship with the brothers and sisters. But at one time, um, we had the pastor had a discussion with me, and he basically came out and said to me that um, spiritual gifts are an important thing. And because I don't speak in tongues, I am not considered a true Christian. Because tongues is the evidence of my faith. And knowing what the scripture said, I, I, did, I disagreed with him. I said, I don't I believe that's true from the scripture. I mean, I, see, I, you know, I guess I can see how you can say that, but that's not the whole scripture attesting to that. So I stopped attending that church. Long story short, every time I would see individuals from this church around the work area, they would avoid me. They would have nothing to do with me. 
It was like I was the one who, con- con- who committed this unforgivable sin because I stopped going to the church. I'm sure that's never happened in here to anybody where you suffered at the hands of somebody in the church, right? That's never happened to anybody here? Okay. Well, unfortunately, it does happen. And you know what? Those are those times where we have to just press in with the Lord. And as we're going to look here in the next couple verses, uh, where we get to some application about what God says to do about them. But you know, we're, the, church should be, the church is a hospital for sick people. So we know that we're going to have times in our life where we, um, where we struggle against each other, where there's, where there's disagreements. But I think the warning here for us from the scripture is that we don't want to be those ones who are causing dissension or we, we're causing disputes. Uh, and if we take this text at what it says, not only is that sin, but we then become the sin. We become the thing that causes people to stumble in their faith. All right, let's move on to point number two. Point number two, trust in God in your circumstances. Don't get distracted. Take a look at, at this verse five. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Or if, the, if you're reading in NIV, it says the discipline of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? This is a hard text to come, come to because um, as, as the author speaks to his congregation here, he actually equates the suffering and persecution that they're going to with the form of the Lord's discipline. As a pastor, this is one of those verses I read and I think, hmm, how would I approach this scripture? Because I would hate to go into um, visit someone in the hospital or be around someone who's suffering and tell them, well, this is just the Lord's discipline. He's trying to correct some things in you. That seems kind of harsh, right? That seems kind of hard. Uh, but listen to what he says here in verse 7. He says, if, you're in, in, if you endure chastening, God deals you, with you as with sons. I'll be honest with you here this, this morning. For this audience at this time, the author is telling them, look at what is happening in your life and receive it and endure it as a form of discipline. As, a, as God trying to do something in your life. Have a different perspective. Trust God in your circumstances. I'll be honest with you, I don't know if that applies to every situation, if you're going through a hard time. But at least in this instance here, when we take a look at the scriptures, this is what the author is telling them to do. Endure this hardship, experience what you're going through, but know that God is in the midst of what you're going through. And there's a purpose, there's a reason behind it. What is the purpose? What is the reason? Why is it so important for the author to tell his audience this? Well, let's jump down to verse 10. He says, for they, speaking of our fathers, indeed for a few days chastised us as seems best to them. But he, God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. He's trying to get across to the church here that, listen, I know you're going through a hard time. You're struggling. At this moment in your life, I want you to trust God for your circumstance. I don't want you to get distracted and think that God doesn't care, that, God's not, uh, that God is you know, apathetic to your, your situation. But at this moment in your life, can you have a different perspective 
on your trial? Can you have a different perspective on your struggle? Can you trust God and know that at the end of this struggle, God's going to form you more into his likeness, into his holiness? He does this that we may be partakers of his holiness. You know, I always tell people in their life, when you're going through a hard time or when you're experiencing things in your life and you don't hear that little voice in the back of your head say things to you like, maybe you should open the scripture or maybe you should pray or maybe you should fill in the blank, go to church, whatever it might be. When you stop hearing that voice, that's when you got to be worried. Because it's at that point that maybe God isn't speaking to you or working through you. The author of Hebrews is saying to them, you hear God's voice. You see him working in your life. He's trying to speak to you. He's trying to get across a message to you. And that message is that he's trying to build you up to holiness. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church in verse 3. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The sanctification process sometimes is hard, but we know that God is building us closer and drawing us closer and closer to him. This morning, I'm not sure where you're at in circumstances you're in life. I'm not sure if you're struggling, if, you're, if things are going good. I'm not sure where you're at in your life. But if there's one thing I can get across to you this morning, it's to trust God in your circumstances. No matter what they, where they may be, where you may be and what, or what your circumstances might be. God is with you in the middle of your circumstance. And he's trying to do something in you. He's trying to work something in you. And he's trying to bring you to holiness. He's trying to bring you to a place where you grow in your faith. And you can trust in him and draw close to him. Our circumstances, whether good or bad, need to be viewed in light of God's care for his children. We know that God is a beautiful, wonderful God. And he's a wonderful father. The scripture tells us that. And we need to trust him in those times where we struggle. A couple years ago, actually about, uh, about 20 years ago, the author Lee Strobel wrote a book entitled The Case for Faith. Many of you may have seen that it was actually recently released as a movie uh, within this last year. Um, this is the copy that I have that I bought back in 1999, so it was that about 20 years ago. Um, the Case for Faith. And if you don't know the story of Lee Strobel, he was an award-winning uh, writer for the Chicago Tribune. He, for many years he wrote, and um, he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. And one day he was tasked as an assignment to go and to just write us a whole series of stories about the poverty and people in Chicago. And in the midst of his research, in the midst of traveling to the, the um, you know, where the, the poverty-stricken areas, his atheism just got deeper and deeper. How can God let people live in these situations? If God is such a good, good father, if he loves us, why are people living in these circumstances? You know, is God really a God up there that that loves people if people are suffering? And these are questions people have, right? Legitimate questions. Well, what, what Lee Strobel does is he goes in this book, and if you've never read it, I encourage you to read it because it's, it's got some, some good uh, insight into a lot of different areas. He goes and he, he interviews several people. He's an investigator, right? So he interviews several people. And um, he asks them these questions. 
He asks theologians, he asks scientists, philosophers, he asks them these questions and gets perspective from them. And um, one of the questions he asks is, you know, if, yeah, if God is all loving, why is there hardship in the world? And um, one of the professors that he speaks to says, you know, I want you to take a look at it in terms of um, a bear in a trap. He says, let's say you saw a bear in a trap and you wanted to release that bear from the trap because you're not a hunter, you just want to release the bear. You know, in order to release the bear from the trap, you actually got to push down on the trap a little bit harder so it can unlatch before it, it undoes, undoes itself. Now, you understand that that's what you're doing, right? You're trying to rescue the bear by giving him a little bit more pain, but at the end of the day, he's going to be free. What does the bear understand? This hurts. <laughs> this is not good. This hurts. So the bear is going to do everything it can. It probably will swipe at you, right? It's going to do everything it can, just like we would do. We get angry with God when we go through the pain. But at the end of the day, what's going to happen is that, that bear trap is released. Now, that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty good, I like that example. We don't understand what God is doing all the time. We don't have the full picture of all the things that are happening in the future. But if we trust God and we experience a little bit of that pain, then that helps us to make it through that. And then, of course, knowing that ultimately holiness and drawing close to him is the end game as that trap is released. Lee Strobel became a Christian. Um, in the process of trying to discount God, he found the Lord. He became a Christian. And I think that's a, that's a cool story for him. And um, so The Case for Faith is a good, good book. Maybe you have some friends that are questioning that. Well, why does God allow bad things to happen? That's a good resource. You might want to pick up from uh, one of the bookstores or something like that because I think it's still got some good um, insight for us today in our life. But God knows what he's doing. And if we trust him in the circumstances and we believe that he will take care of us, then it doesn't take away the pain, but at least we know that God is on our side and God will walk us through the struggle. Back in Hebrews chapter 12, let's take a look at verse 12. And this is our third point this morning. Strengthen your faith. Get to the finish line. We've been told first by the author to count the cost, to get into the race. Then we were told in our scripture, in our text this morning, that we need to trust God for the circumstances. We can't get distracted. And now we need to strengthen our faith. We need to get to the finish line. Ultimately, we want to finish the race. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore... Strengthen the, knee, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bring up, spring up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Therefore, he says, knowing that you're going through a struggle, knowing that God is with you during that struggle, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. He's actually referring to a a passage in Isaiah that speaks of making your way to Jerusalem, to the king. 
And he's recalling this text. Again, he's, he loves the Old Testament, so he's referring to that. He's saying, strengthen your knees, strengthen your legs, your hands, and make straight paths for the Lord. Right? The focus is on the Lord. You know, and I think this morning as we begin wrapping it up, this is um, where really we talk about living as a community of believers, living as individuals who have faith in the Lord and encouraging one another in the faith. You know, the author here is telling us, do everything in your power to strengthen your faith. Do everything in your power. Strengthen the hands which hang down, your feeble knees, make straight paths, pursue peace with all people. Those individuals earlier we talked about who were causing dissension, causing discord, we're supposed to be the opposite. We're supposed to be the ones who bring peace, who pursue peace. We're supposed to be the ones who mediate peace within the body, who cause the church to grow and to mature in the faith. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short, he says in verse 15. Anyone fall short of the grace of God. Looking, meaning we're looking around. We're encouraging one another. We're taking the time to give a call or to give an email or just a word of encouragement to individuals and to tell them we're praying for them or we know that they're going through a hard time but that God is with them. Is there anything I can do for you? And then doing it. This is what the call to action is here in our life. We are called to a race, the race of faith. And God has called each one of us to pursue him and to run this race. And, you know, in all honesty, it's kind of funny because in, in this, with that in mind, it almost sounds like it's a, a cross-country team, right? We're all running together. We're all running together, but we all got to get to the goal individually. We're running together, but we got to get to the goal individually. And the only way we're going to do that is as we encourage each other and we strengthen our faith. He gives us a warning at the last couple verses here of our text. Don't be like Esau who sold his inheritance. He was rejected because he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He gives us a warning here so that we don't lose track. We don't get off the course. We stay the course and we continue and we finish. How many of you guys have ever ran in a race or ran a course and were tempted to take the shortcut, right? <laughs> can't take the shortcut. You know, when the coach says you gotta do three laps, you gotta do three laps, you can't just do two. You know, I used to hate that in school when we had to run four or five laps and you knew there was the one guy that just ran a little bit slower so that he, by the time you finish your third lap or fourth lap, he was already, oh yeah, I'm on my fifth lap. No, you just ran slow enough to make it look like you were in the race, but you weren't in the race, okay? Don't be those kind of people. Get in the race, finish the race, and do it legitimately because that's what God is calling us to do. Don't be like Esau who decided to take the easy way and sold his birthright. For the rest of his life now, Esau was no longer the firstborn. His brother was, Jacob. But he had to live his whole life in like that, knowing that he had tried to cheat his way out of things and it didn't work out for him. One of the things that ties all of this scripture together, we look back in Hebrews chapter 10, we touched a little bit on Hebrews chapter 11, of course we're in chapter 12. There's, there's a word here that I want us to understand. And that word is endure. Pastor Milo talked about this last week, enduring the race, enduring the race. This is a word that actually is repeated at least seven times in chapters 10, 11, and 12. Endure. 
He actually says that about looking to Jesus. Look, look to Jesus as you suffer. He endured. Look at those Old Testament saints. They endured. Together we need to endure. We need to finish the race. And the only way we're going to do that is by running a legitimate race and completing it according to the rules and trusting that God will be with us the whole time. The band's going to come up in a few minutes. They're going to lead us in a worship song. And I pray that this morning uh, you might have been encouraged. You might have been challenged in your faith. I pray this morning that if you are experiencing some hard times or some challenges in your faith, that today would be the day where you just trust God. And at least for the next 24 hours, you just give it to the Lord and let him have your situation. We're all going through different things in our life. If I'm being honest with you, the struggle in my house, as many of you know, is whether, what kind of puppy to find and what kind of puppy are we going to have. You know, that's my struggle. Some of you are going through a lot harder troubles than what we're experiencing in our life. Okay? Okay? I mean, we're like, it's got to be that kind of puppy or we're not getting it. Okay? And it's hard. <laughs> right? It's the worst. Right? It's the worst. That's the worst. <laughs> But this morning, some of you are struggling in your faith. We, I know this because we all struggle. You know, we've had bad, hard times in our life too. And I just want to be an encouragement to you. I do find it interesting that the author of Hebrews tells his audience, let this be an encouragement to you. God is disciplining you to bring you to holiness. How is that an encouragement? I have no idea, but I'll trust God for that. And I pray this morning you would trust God also in whatever struggle or whatever journey you're in. This morning as the band plays, I'm going to make my way to the back. I'll be there uh, after the service. If you want prayer, if you have something specific you would like the, myself or the church staff to pray for. Or maybe this morning this is the day where you say, I need to take the first step into the race. I need to get in the race. And I need to focus and put my attention on Jesus. I need to make Jesus the one who is at the pinnacle of my faith. And I've never done that before. Maybe that's you today. I want to encourage you to come talk to me as the band plays or even after the service. Don't leave today without knowing that Jesus is the one who you're looking for, that Jesus is the one you're considering in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you this morning for calling us to lives that experience the good and the bad of life, but knowing that no matter where we're at in that spectrum, Jesus, you are with us. Somehow in all the intricacies of life and your great plan and your great wisdom, you're working a work in us to bring us to holiness. Lord, I pray this morning you would comfort those who need to be comforted. I pray that you would challenge those who need to be challenged. And I pray that each one of us individually this morning would seek you out with all of our heart and that we would make you the focus of our faith and the focus of the race that we are in. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen.